Welcome. Everything is fine. You are listening to Fork and Bullshirt, the Good Place podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Vivian. We'll be the architects of your journey into the afterlife. Each week we will focus on an episode and end with a spoiler section. If you've watched the finale, join us after the music at the end of the show. This week we're discussing episode one, Everything is Fine. So we'll go over the cast a little bit. Kristen Bell plays Eleanor Shellstrop. I know her best from Veronica Mars and comedies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Bad Moms, and she even had a small role on Parks and Rec, which was another Michael Schur show. And Ted Danson is playing Michael. He was probably most well-known as Sam on Cheers, and he's been on CSI. He replaced, I believe he placed Grissom. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And he was also in the movie Three Men and a Baby. William Jackson Harper plays Chidi Anagagne. It's his biggest role so far, but he's played smaller roles in several films. And I like him a lot. I think he does a really great job. Yeah, he's great. Then we have Jamila Jamil as Tahani Al-Jamil, who is a presenter for T4, which is kind of like a VJ for Much Music or MTV. She's been a host on BBC Radio 1 and is also a model. Which go figure, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have Darcy Carden as Janet. And she's fantastic. I love her. Uh, She plays Gemma on Broad City as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have Manny Jacinto as Jianyu Lee. He's Canadian and was on CBC show called Romeo Section. Which I've never seen. So maybe I'm a bad Canadian. It's okay. I've never seen (laughs) slash heard of it. The writer for this episode is Michael Schur. He is the series creator. He was a writer on SNL and The Office. And he was the creator of Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's been busy. Yeah, he's been busy and he's done a lot of really great comedies. And the director of this episode was Drew Goddard. And he's also the series executive producer. He's been pretty much all over TV in the past decade. He's the creator of Daredevil, writer for Buffy, Angel, Alias, Lost. Co-wrote and directed Cabin in the Woods as well. Mm -hmm. So we've got a pretty good team for this pilot episode. Yeah, as soon as you see those names and... You feel kind of safe in in their hands. At least I did. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely want to give it a chance. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get into our episode. Eleanor Shellstrop arrives in the good place after being killed in a freak accident in a grocery store parking lot. She is greeted by the architect, Michael, who introduces her to the pristine neighborhood where she will spend her afterlife. So what do you think of the secular afterlife that's presented to us in this episode? Honestly, I don't feel like it's secular at all. Interesting. It feels very religious, despite the fact that Michael states blatantly that everybody, all the religions got it about 5% right. But the whole idea of the good place seems very religious to me. Yes, it's obviously based off of the idea of heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. But what I meant is that the version that we get in this episode and in the show going forward is fairly secular. It doesn't seem to matter what religion you are Mm -hmm. um, when you're in the good place. So it's not as though this is only a place that will accept Christians or Muslims or Hindus. It's not particular to any religion one religion. Right, it's all inclusive. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I find it kind of secular because I don't feel there are overtly religious tones to the show, as in some other shows that you might see. For sure. No, I agree that the show itself doesn't feel very religious, despite the whole theme being you're basically in a form of heaven. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the presentation of this afterlife, this good heavenly place, despite it not being heaven, is very well done. It's not in your face. It's very homey feeling. It's comforting. And it's happy. So you're talking specifically about the neighborhood? Like its design? The whole idea of this good place that Michael has presented to Eleanor. Okay. Why would you say homey? That's interesting to me. Why homey? Homey for me feels comforting, familiar, because the whole place is kind of catered towards 
your personality, who you are, what you like. Because Michael did say that each good place is catered towards the inhabitants. So some good places may be in the countryside. Some good places may be in a little village downtown. Some could be in a bustling megatropolis with (laughs) huge skyscrapers. And so this specific version of the good place feels homey to me. Okay. Interesting. To me, it feels um, very upper class. It feels kind of like a country club. Um, The neighborhood is so pristine, like so well taken care of. The gardens are like very manicured. There's gigantic houses everywhere. Well, except for Eleanor's. (laughs) And it just feels like such a rich neighborhood. So it was interesting to me, like you say, homey, because I think I would feel personally out, kind of out of place somewhere like that, where it was just a little bit too extravagant. Hmm. The city center itself is not that bad. It's kind of like cutesy um, buildings and like, you know, there's all the yogurt shops and stuff and I love frozen yogurt. So <laughs> that's great. Um, but yeah, all the the homes and the gardens are just like not homey, I guess. So this wouldn't be your good place. No, I guess it wouldn't be my good place. So Michael. Michael. We meet Michael for the first time. Ted Danson's perfect in this role. I think he's great. Yeah? He nails it. Yeah, I love him. I think he's really fantastic. I've never actually seen him in Cheers, so I didn't get a lot of that like long-form storytelling from him, um, but I think he does a great job that, in this show. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Michael the first time we met him? I was immediately off-put. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm just supposed to take his word for everything. Like, Hmm. I wake up in a strange place. I don't know what's going on. And somebody tells me I'm dead. I'm immediately on guard. I'm like, (laughs) wait, what is going on here? Where are the cameras? (laughs) This is a prank show. Exactly. Like, what's going on? But he's just so comforting in the way he speaks. And he explains everything very openly. He's very personable. Yeah, okay. That's true. I wasn't suspicious of him when I first watched it. Hmm. I wasn't like, oh, who is this guy telling Eleanor that she died? And I was a little bit confused about why Eleanor was so calm, but I kind of felt like maybe they give you drugs or maybe as you're kind of like awakening in your afterlife, things are a little like fuzzy or really calm feeling. Mm -hmm. So... It was interesting to see that she didn't, like, panic or freak out. Like, what? You're telling me I'm dead? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. She's just chill and, oh, cool. Like, just completely accepts this new reality. Well, as we learned throughout the episode, she didn't really have a whole lot to complain about. No. Because her life back on Earth wasn't exactly the best. She wasn't totally rolling in cash. She wasn't surrounded by people who she might miss that's true i don't see her complaining a whole lot no i'm not saying she's complaining i'm just Mm -hmm. saying she's remarkably calm for someone who just found out they died and that's why i think that's (laughs) totally why because she's like okay cool screw earth screw my past life i'm good so as michael presents himself he's wearing this very nice suit he's got a nice little bow tie on and did you notice anything funky about that bow tie? Because yeah. it's a peacock, which is pretty cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's not a peacock, but it looks like a peacock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so peacocks actually have uh, some symbolism in different cultures and in dreams. And they represent awakening, guidance, protection, and also watchfulness. That feels very purposeful. Very purposeful. I I feel like a lot of the stuff on the show is very purposeful. Nothing's done by accident or mistake or Mm -hmm. chance. Every look, every action, everything anybody says is very on point. Mm -hmm. We can talk a little bit more about that in the spoiler zone at the end of the episode. Definitely. I like that, though. That's a nice little touch that doesn't really 
diminish anything mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention or if you don't notice it. Yeah. But it adds a nice little bit of something extra. I was also looking for what the paintings were in the back of his office. Okay. I couldn't quite find any results, but if anybody out there recognizes either of them, let us know, because I'm sure they mean something. Michael plays an orientation film to all the newcomers. In it, he tells everyone that their actions on Earth had positive or negative value, depending on how much good or bad was put into the universe. At the end of their life, the numbers were added up and only the best of the best end up in the good place. Now everyone can enjoy their afterlife with their soulmate. Alright, what did you think about the good and bad actions that we saw on screen that Michael shows everybody? I thought they were hilarious, and they were a really great way to bring in some comedy. Because if you look at a lot of the good or bad actions, a lot of them are just jokes, right? Mm -hmm. They're just funny. Yeah. But when you think about them a little bit more, I couldn't help but notice that the point system feels very utilitarian. If you're not familiar, utilitarianism is a moral theory that focuses on the consequences, whether positive or negative, of our actions, regardless of intent. So this theory posits that actions should be measured by the amount of happiness that they produce. So fixing a tricycle for a child who loves tricycles, which was one of the good actions we Mm -hmm. saw on screen, would put more happiness into the universe than fixing a tricycle for a child who is indifferent to tricycles. Right. Which was another good action, but just with less points Mm -hmm. um, awarded to it. It doesn't seem like intent matters at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems to be that whatever you, whatever actions you did on Earth are just calculated by the goodness or the badness, I guess, that you put into the world. Right. It's very cut and dry. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you did an action that was intended to be really great, um, maybe you created something and you thought that it would bring people a lot of joy, but it ended up not being very successful, or maybe it kind of backfired on you, Mm -hmm. then your points would maybe not be very high or would actually be negative. Right. So trying to fix this child's tricycle who loves tricycles and ending up breaking it, that could be pretty bad, d- despite your good intention. Yeah. You could get negative points for that. Yeah, it could be listed on your afterlife resume, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, broke a tricycle for a child who loves tricycles by accident. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. Do you think this is kind of a fair system? What do you think of the system? I think it's bogus. Bogus. I like <laughs> I that. That's bogus. so nineties, Jason. It's totally this is bogus. Totally bogus. It's outrageous. It feels way too I guess we could just go with the same word. It feels way too utilitarian. Okay. And it's not a good thing. Because you really need to take into account intention. Yeah, I can it see. It feels that. easy to manipulate. All you'd have to do is just do good things. Yes. Regardless of intent. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think the system should be so cut and dry. Um, later, we'll hear from Chidi saying, you know, like, this is how it works. It's like a mathematical, like, formula. There's no possible way that this could not work. But it is possible. For Life is not formula. Work great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't just calculate things so simply one plus one does not equal heaven yes you're very right that's the title (laughs) of our new podcast by the way one plus one does not equal heaven right yeah nailed it (laughs) okay so do you believe in soulmates no (laughs) actually no i don't believe in soulmates i don't mind the idea that there's like this heaven that you, you know, you go to and there, there's your soulmate. Like, it's kind of a nice idea because that's sort of what you expect, I guess. It kind of makes dying less scary. Yeah, that you have a partner in all of this, that you have someone that you're going to to love and to be able to, you know, enjoy your afterlife with. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But personally, do I believe in soulmates? No. I don't think that there's one person in the entire world that is meant to to be with you, I think that you can make it work with a lot of different people. And I think that some people 
are just better suited to each other. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I don't believe in soulmates. And I actually thought it was kind of interesting when he says, oh, like your soulmate is here with you. I started thinking, well, does that mean that your soulmate had to die at the same time? Exactly. That's my problem. Or did your soulmate die maybe hundreds of years ago and they've just been waiting for you to come around and, you know, they're going to be standing there sort of looking at their watch like, hello, you took your time getting here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've had to spend a hundred years in the afterlife by myself. Um, Like, how does that work? Or is it somebody that was on Earth with you at the same time? So you could have multiple soulmates depending on when you die. No, I was thinking more so, I guess it wouldn't be necessarily 100 years, but maybe if your soulmate died when they were 20, and then you die when you're like 70, are you going to be in the good place, a 70-year-old and a 20-year-old hanging out together, being soulmates? Which, if your soulmates, I guess, maybe isn't creepy. Doesn't matter, but... But it might look creepy. Yeah. What if the concept of time doesn't really apply to this good place or the afterlife so you may die in 2017 Mm -hmm. and your soulmate may die in 2033 but you still both end up in the same place at the same time okay so it may seem like 30 years have passed on earth but when you die there's no time difference you just are there you're all there at the same time okay well, it's interesting. Um, I actually, it took me a little while to notice that Chidi, Eleanor, Jianyu, and Tani were all there in the orientation. Mm-hmm. Because we do see Eleanor, um, and she actually looks over at Jianyu when they mention soulmates, which is yeah, interesting. which is great. Um, and then we see Tahani, but we don't see a shot of Chidi by himself. So I thought... For a little while, then maybe Chidi had been there for a little bit, and he was waiting for Eleanor, mm-hmm. um, waiting for his soulmate to get there. So he didn't need to watch the orientation film because he'd already seen it. Yes, and then I noticed just uh, the last time I watched the episode that Chidi is there. He is in the audience. We just don't see a shot of him, which oh, was okay. kind of odd. I think it might have been nice if they had added a shot of him just so that we got that confirmation that everybody, like our main cast... Um, of characters were all together. Right. As newbies in the good place, I guess. You yeah. know, they're all new to this. Do you yourself believe in soulmates? No. Okay, we're on the same page. Same page. And well, I think it's because it's too it's too easy. Okay. Nothing is that easy. If you're just gonna wait around for your soulmate to pop up and then I don't think you're gonna be happy. Because You may come around thinking that, hey, this person's my soulmate, and then have this huge fight a couple years later or whatever. Maybe you break up, and then if you still believe in soulmates, then you're going to be miserable the rest of your life because you thought, oh, that was my soulmate. And if I can't make it work with my soulmate, then I can't make it work with anybody. There's no hope for anybody else. Yeah. I don't know. I think it just, it's the, I don't want to say it's the lazy approach, but it's the wishful thinking approach. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. And what what would happen for someone who's not interested in romance? Right. Do they get a soulmate when they go to the afterlife? Yeah. Their soulmate is somebody who also isn't interested in romance. <laughs> and they're just like soul bros. Yeah. Yeah. Like soul buddies. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Non-romantic, not sexual soul buds. Yeah. They just hang out and like are chill all day long. That's cool. You know what? That I'm very cool with that idea. <laughs> that sounds soul pretty, friends. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah, soul yeah. friends. Soul pals. All right, so let's continue. So Michael welcomes Eleanor to her new home, a small cottage, which he explains matches her true essence. He introduces her to her soulmate, Chidi Anagonye, a professor of ethics and moral philosophy. Eleanor reveals to Chidi that there has been a mistake and she does not belong in the good place. That's our premise right there. Yeah. Boom. That she doesn't belong here. Something is wrong. What's she going to do now? Yeah, because you don't really know what the show is going to be about up until that point. Yeah, you're kind of like, okay, well, 
we're going to watch people be really happy in heaven. Where's the conflict? Jeez, that sounds fun. Boom. There's our conflict. Yeah. And that's big. Yes. That's the big wrench in these gears. Yes. Do you think it's bizarre knowing who Eleanor is once we finish the episode that she trusts Chidi with this information like right away that she tells him immediately that she doesn't belong there? No. No. Because who better to dump out this information onto than a professor of ethics and somebody who truly belongs there? She didn't know that he was a professor of ethics when she told him. Okay, but he still belongs there. Okay. According to everybody else who's in the good place. So she's she feels like she's the only one who doesn't belong. So if she tells anybody a secret, or if she says you have to promise to... Keep my secret. Right. Then he can't lie. Because it's the good place. And lying is not good. Does Eleanor think that lying isn't good? No, but she thinks other people believe that. Oh, okay. So she makes the natural assumption that, okay, he's in the good place. He's a good person. He should be trustworthy and he won't lie. She's already taking advantage of people. But if she thinks that he won't lie, then why does she think that he will protect her versus lying to everybody in the good place? Interesting. So there's two lies there that... All of a sudden, he's doing. He's lying to other people. Mm-hmm. If he tells people, then he's lying to her. Well, he wouldn't be lying to her. He would just be exposing her. But she already asked him. She said... Right. Yes. She did make him give her this promise that yeah. he will stand by her no matter so what. So she screws him no matter what. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is perfect for someone like Chidi who... Doesn't believe in lying. Right. So he's trying to decide, okay, well, which lie is worse? Um, lying to someone breaking my promise mm-hmm. or lying to Michael and the rest of the people here in the good place. Right. Okay. Interesting. See, so I... utilitarianism, does that mean that no matter what, no matter who it affects, you have to be truthful? I don't think it has a specific view on lying. Um, I might be wrong. Listener, if you're shaking your head and you're like, Vivian, what are you talking about, girl? You are so wrong. Then let me know. But I don't think there's any particular theory on lying itself. I think it's just whether or not your action is going to cause more pain and suffering or more happiness. Right. So if she told... Michael and told everybody in the good place that Eleanor didn't belong there. She got kicked out and then they lived happily ever after. Then I think that would maximize happiness and could be considered a good action versus keeping her there and maybe things kind of going to hell. (laughs) So needless to say, Chidi is in an ethical conundrum quandary existential crisis yeah he's in a real cluster fork yes he certainly is yep so what would your true essence home look like oh goodness um i actually really like eleanor's house i think it's super cute (laughs) no i like it other than the clowns the clowns are super creepy please get them out um, especially the like weird sliding door clowns that close up on her bedroom. Terrifying. And play music while they do it. Yeah. Terrifying and also annoying. Cause if you're trying to go to bed, I don't want like weirdo clown music that's going to invade my dreams. Yeah. But I actually like her house. I think it's really nice. I don't think my true essence home would be a gigantic mansion because I just don't need that much room. Yeah, exactly. I'm not the type of person who wants a ton of rooms that are kind of pointless um so my trust home would probably be like a nice cottage yeah yeah maybe a little bit more on the side of like a fairy tale looking cottage with like cobblestones and stuff like that but i like that her interior is very clean and well organized i like that about it but i think that mine would probably feel a little bit more homey mm-hmm it is very modern. Um, a little bit more knickknacks, more art, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about you? 
Mine would be, I think, similar to a cottagey feel on the outside. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, it would be clean, modern. And I would definitely have a little man cave. Or, a man cave? Well, you know, like a, like a hideaway place for me to escape and... It's... If it's your true essence home, why do you have to have a room to escape in your true essence home? Well, if my soulmate's getting on my nerves. Uh, your soulmate shouldn't be getting on your nerves, but I, know, I see but what you're saying, you Jason. Talk... I get the message you loud should... <laughs> and clear. You should tell that to her. <laughs> oh, is that is that it? That's what you're saying? I that we're have... not soulmates, Jason? We're I would have... Okay. A... <laughs> I get it. No, it's fine. I would have a room. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I would have a room full of books, old video game consoles, computers, and... Several computers for your use. Oh, yeah. Lots of computers. Okay. And a nice big TV, all the most recent technologically advanced toys. Hmm. But it would still be like a little cottage. Okay. Homey, not like this huge extravagant thing. No, it would be, okay. it would feel very cozy. Okay. Yeah, I get that. So I had kind of an interesting question to ask you, at least I hope it will be. What did you think of the cursing ban in The Good Place? Because when Eleanor's trying to say the F word, she can't help but say fork. I don't like it. I think it's a great way for the show to get around swearing. Mm-hmm. Lots of shows have creative and clever ways and means to get around swearing. Yeah, like we had Frack in BSG. Yep. I think that The Good Place should not be censoring people because where does it end? Yeah, because Chidi just says that a lot of people here don't like it, so it's prohibited. Mm-hmm. Which is not a great reason for it, right? right? Because you should have the freedom to swear if you feel like swearing. Sure. Obviously, it's it's just network-wise, it's just a really fun workaround. And it gives us these like great moments where she can say, more mother forkin' shirt balls and shirt for brains and what a condescending bench. Like, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. But at the same time, when you think about it, you're like, oh... You're being denied, like, a pretty basic freedom. Mm-hmm. It is a slippery slope. Where mm-hmm. do you start banning things? Where do you stop? Exactly. Should you? Yeah. So, that's a good place. Everything should be allowed. Yeah. And, I mean, if your people are such good people, then you probably won't need to worry too much about certain things anyway it's not like you're gonna have to ban people from killing each other because you can't kill each other in the good place they're good people they're not going to kill each other and they're not going to want to do those things exactly. i'm not saying that good people will not want to swear yeah it's uh it was something that didn't really occur to me when i first watched it and i was just sort of casually watching and then after seeing it a few times it was like oh that's kind of messed up mm-hmm that's not really cool. <laughs> That's some bullshit. Yeah, that is some bullshit. In the first episode, we're introduced to our first flashback. Michael Schur was inspired by Lost for these flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think they're out of place? No, I don't think that they're out of place. I think the first flashback actually comes at a really good time because Chidi is asking her, you know, what did you do on Earth? What was your job? So it's a perfect spot to give us that flashback of you know her life as a as a sales rep i don't find that they're as successful as the flashbacks on lost at least in this episode we kind of just get the same beat over and over that eleanor is not a very good person Mm -hmm. you know we see that she is completely fine with conning people out of like real medicine We see that she doesn't really give a fork about the environment or about being polite and courteous to strangers. So I feel like we're just getting that same beat that Eleanor sucks. She's (laughs) not a good person. She doesn't belong here, Mm -hmm. you know? So we're reinforcing that. What do you think? I partially agree with you. I think the flashbacks do a really good job at showing 
the type of person Eleanor was. Mm -hmm. And they start off feeling a little jarring to me. Like I wasn't really expecting the flashbacks at all. But as soon as I saw them, it really emphasized how crummy of a person she was. Mm -hmm. And as the flashbacks continue through this episode and through the show, they really show how terrible she is. Oh, yeah. And I think that helps because you can see one example of somebody being crummy and still they can be a good person. Yeah, that's true. Everybody has their their crappy days or their crappy moments where they're not the nicest person. And these just keep happening. So it's really letting you know that she didn't have just a crappy day or a crappy week. She's just crappy. She's just really, really crummy person. Mm -hmm. And there are short enough flashbacks that I think they work. Okay. I like them. I love watching Kristen Bell. Mm -hmm. So seeing her act like kind of a a scumbag is always fun oh she's hilarious like she's so great at doing it for sure so i can't be upset that they're doing these flashbacks because (laughs) they add a little bit of her character they're enjoyable they are yeah yeah they're fun they're light they're comedic yeah um i don't think that they're being used in exactly the same way as lost use them um because I think generally what they're trying to do is less of like a giving us a backstory, I guess. Um, I don't find that I'm getting like a story, for example, in Lost, sometimes you'll get a whole story about um, a particular event in Kate's life or in Jack's life. And we see moments of that ev- that same event in... A flashback. Right. How or in certain flashbacks. How yeah. their flashbacks really reflect on their current situation or building their personality, why they are who they are, and not this is who they are. Yeah. It's just Lost does it in a great way that just kind of explains deeper of their personality and what shapes them, mm-hmm. why they are who they are, instead of in The Good Place, this is who they are, or oh. this is who they were on Earth. Okay. It's not, they're not going to change from that. This is just who they are. Okay. Interesting. So it's not like a negative thing that it is somewhat repetitive because it's really trying to reinforce that Eleanor wasn't a great person. And later on, we'll see a little bit more of the backstory from Mm -hmm. the other characters, but it's trying to show us that at several moments in their life, they were still this person. They were this person basically till they died. Yeah. And we know that in Eleanor's case, she didn't have some sort of grand revelation at the end of her life where she decided to, I don't know, create some huge charity or, (laughs) I don't know, uh, donate all of her money to orphans, something like that. Yeah. She was always like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's very valid. Um, I like them as comedic little moments, but I think that... It would have been interesting to see a little bit more variety. Variety how? I guess moments where maybe Eleanor could have been more open to the possibility of being a better person. Um, I think that would defeat the purpose. Okay. I think there's... I think it's trying to show us that there's almost nothing in her life that is... Despite several opportunities presenting themselves, she always takes the, hey, I'm a scumbag route. Okay, yeah. No, I uh, I agree with you now. You've, you've brought me over to your side. <laughs> Eleanor refuses to reveal herself, fearing she will go to the bad place. We meet Janet, the informational system for the afterlife, as well as the other residents, Tahani and Jianyu, who invite the whole neighborhood for a welcome party. At the party, Eleanor is confronted with a crowd of altruistic and accomplished people, causing her insecurities to bubble to the surface. A fun moment for me. I love this part where she goes to the party and it's just, it's just so great to see all of these people and they're just bragging about all of their accomplishments and she's getting progressively more irritated. Oh yeah. Because it's like, are you kidding me? You all have to be like perfect? Really? 
It's just so grating on me, and I hate everybody, and this is awful. Yep. Yeah. But So she resorts to... I've definitely felt that way, so I was... Uh... Oh, yeah. You sympathize. Yeah. I was sympathizing with her. If you're surrounded by people like that... Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even necessarily that they're great. It's just that they've done so much with their life, right? Sometimes you meet someone who's around your age, and... They seem to have everything together or they seem to have managed to travel a world somehow. And you're like, really? Yep. Okay. And you start to feel a little bit small in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jason, what was your first impression of Tahani and Jianyu? I immediately hated Tahani. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> Pretty much immediately. It's like you're so pompous. You're so full of yourself and you're humble bragging about everything to coin the Brita term. What did you think about Jianyu? I mean, what can you think? He just stands there. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, because he has taken the vow of silence. So mm-hmm. um, I agree with you. I hated Tahani right off the bat. I thought she was incredibly condescending mm-hmm. um, and very, very full of herself. Which is, I think, the exact impression that you're supposed to get. I don't of think course. that you're supposed to read her in any other way. Oh, I love your um, little house. It's so quaint. And... Yeah, just like for a little dog. And I yeah. was like, are you calling her a dog? And then <laughs> booping her. It was very... Oh, you booped Infantilizing. Me. Yeah. Like, it was very frustrating. Um, But I actually really liked Jianyu, like, pretty much right away. I don't know. He seemed really calm. What is there to like, though? He doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't really do anything. But he's... I don't know. There's something about him. There's just something that intrigued me right away. Hmm. Um, Because I thought, well, what are they going to do with this character? You know, what can they do with a character that doesn't really say anything? Right. You know, that's hard to do on TV, right? That could be. Yeah. Well, not necessarily on TV, but it's, it's something that's hard to do in a show and to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was intrigued. Like, what are we going to see from him? What is he right. going to be like? Is he just going to be there so that Tahani gets frustrated? Like, what's what's the point of him, I guess? Well, um, I can see that intrigue there. Or so that we get some sort of balance of, like, you know, an odd couple, right? Where she talks she, so much and he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, she can't shut up right. and he can't say anything. Right. Um... So I was drawn to him and I was immediately like, okay, I'm going to watch out for this guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to see what they're going to do there. It's going to be yeah. something, something big coming from this guy. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. powerful moments. Whenever he does decide to open his mouth, it's going to be some grand spectacle. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was intrigued. That's okay. the best way to put it. So when Eleanor and Chidi uh, exit the party for the evening, we have this really nice moment um and this was actually the the first moment i really connected with eleanor um she and chidi are back at her home and she apologizes for her behavior she says you know it's not okay that i was acting like this i'm really sorry you had to deal with me and then she asks him if he thinks that anybody cared that she died Mm -hmm. and it was really sad Yeah, it was, because it just goes to show that she didn't really have a lot of close people in her life, right? If she had a lot of really good friends, if she was married to someone, if she had children, then I think she would naturally assume that somebody would care that she died. She wouldn't have to ask that. That she would have a funeral with plenty of people mourning, that she would be very missed. But to hear something like that... Yeah, it makes you really realize that she was a lonely person. Yeah, very lonely. On Earth. Yeah, it was a really great moment of vulnerability and humanity from her because, like, we see a lot of negative things about Eleanor in this episode. It's a lot of frustration, a lot of insecurity, a lot of trying to convince Chidi to be on her side without giving him a real reason to care about her. Yeah. So this was a really nice moment for the two of them. And you've got the flashbacks showing her that she's a bad person. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I really realized, okay, this is somebody I can root for. Like, I want her to have people in her life. I want her to be a better person. I want her to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't want her to get kicked out 
Because mm. at first you're kind of like, well, why wouldn't you get kicked out? Like, <laughs> you're kind of just a crummy person, so yeah. wouldn't it be just better for everyone? How are we going to have a main character that we want to root for if they're just crappy? Yeah. So that's the moment where you see that maybe she can be a little bit more. Yeah. And that maybe she has a reason for being so crappy on Earth, mm -hmm. you know, that she was really lonely, that she had very crummy parents. And not that that's supposed to be like some sort of excuse because a lot of people have crummy parents, but they're still good people. Yeah. But we get an idea of what made her this way, what made her so hard and cold and uncaring. So Eleanor at the party resorts to drinking. Yes. She gets pretty drunk. Yeah, drunk enough that she's going to steal some gold stuff. <laughs> yeah, and steal shrimp and put her in her bra. So people are allowed to get drunk in the good place. Yeah. So drinking is not bad. I guess not. Which is interesting to me. It's got such a negative connotation in life and the world and where we live. Getting blackout drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So or it seems... getting drunk, period, but yeah. Right. So it just seems kind of interesting that they allow people to get drunk in the good place. I understand drinking, like having champagne, whatever, having some drinks, but being able to get drunk to that stage... Mm -hmm. seems off to me. No, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I noticed that she didn't get a hangover. Yeah. So there are no hangovers in a good place, I suppose. But yeah, the fact that you can get drunk, you would think that, you know, you could drink as much as you want, but you wouldn't ever get drunk or right. tipsy or anything like that. Yeah, that is interesting. Like, why? Why mm -hmm. is that okay, but not swearing? As the architect... Michael might have an explanation. Yeah. He might have overlooked something. He might have overlooked something. It's possible. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Eleanor wakes up to find the good place in chaos. Everyone else's clothes are striped yellow and blue. Shrimp are flying, and Ariana Grande's music is blasting. Chidi comes to the conclusion that Eleanor's actions have had a negative consequence on their neighborhood. We end the episode with Eleanor asking Chidi to help her become a good person. So I was a little confused about the blue and yellow stripes. Yes. Is that from a song? No, actually, I had a friend of mine, um, Garrett, um, explain that to me. He said that blue and yellow are the colors, like the school colors for Michigan University. Okay. Uh, and she's wearing a shirt that says Michigan Law. Okay. So... I guess it's like a football reference. Um, he has a lot of, like, Michael Schur has a lot of very subtle football references in this show. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where that's from. Okay. Yeah. It It's not exactly obvious, though, I think, for people who aren't really sports fans. Like, yeah. I totally didn't get it. You didn't get it. Yeah. But it's a nice visual cue that something's wrong because it's not something that everybody's going to be wearing you know it's not like their clothes are all white all of a sudden it's, it's it looks jarring yeah. you know and it's very noticeable and very obvious that she's not wearing mm -hmm. the same thing exactly <laughs> did you pick up on all of the references the first time you're watching like the music the shrimp flying the medicine bottles rolling down the sidewalk yeah i got all of them except for the the stripes yeah okay so they were i thought they were quite obvious yeah definitely except for the ladybug yeah the ladybug okay so there's a giant fork makes sense perfect there was a ladybug and there was a frog and we saw shots of a frog and a ladybug like little in between shots but there was no actual interaction mm -hmm. there so I don't know exactly why they decided to go with giant bugs when they weren't really something that Eleanor interacted with or talked about. It's possible um, we missed something. I don't think so. <laughs> it's not possible. No, I no, it is possible we missed something, but I don't think we did. I mm -hmm. think that the show is just trying to go for, hey, look, everything is in complete chaos and we know that bugs and like ladybugs and frogs are not supposed to be this big. 
So Eleanor here makes a really good point when she's talking to Chidi about the binary system of the afterlife, mm-hmm. this whole good versus bad. It's very black and white and that no one really seems to question it. Yeah. Because Michael tells her earlier in the episode, like only the best of the best end up here. And she's like, that's completely unfair. You know, only the greatest people get to come here and everybody else has to go to the bad place. Like, why is that a good idea? Why don't we have somewhere that's a medium place? Mm Because she says, you know, I was a medium person. I should get to spend eternity in a medium place. And I agree with her. Like, maybe it shouldn't be so black and white. Because it does seem unfair. Or maybe we should be letting more people into the good place who were generally good people, but maybe didn't spend their entire lives helping orphans. Mm -hmm. Do you think the people who truly deserve to be there that never did anything terrible or wrong would start to feel like that's unfair? I think that they should. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think it's interesting that nobody seems to. Nobody speaks up. No, even Chidi says, like, that's just not how it works. So he's not questioning it. Yeah, because he's there. Why should he? Yeah. He's happy. Yeah, he belongs there. So He believes, like, he is, you know, up there with everybody else who's in the good place. Mm-hmm. I really liked just that Eleanor made that point and that we also get Chidi just saying, hey, that's how it is. Sorry, and I don't know. I can't I can't do anything about the system. This is just how the system works. And I think the as a viewer, we're siding with Eleanor at this point. We're saying, you know what? She's got a point. Where's this medium place? Good and bad isn't really fair. Yeah, this it's... point system is seems a little unbalanced. Yeah, I agree with you. And another really good moment for me was when she said, "Let me earn my place here." And the word earn was really important for me. Yeah, for To sure. see that she's going to put in that work. Or at least to hear that she's willing to put in yeah. the work to be there and to belong. I thought that was good as well. And then I was thinking, well, wasn't that what life was about? Yeah. Getting you to earn your place in the good place? So yeah. it's a little bit late for Eleanor to be at that point. But... She got there. She got there. She got there. She did. And I think if people knew that all of their points would be tallied up at the end, everybody would be trying very, very hard to earn their place when they die. The point system that we're presented in this episode says that Mm -hmm. your intentions are irrelevant. It's just what consequences your actions have had. So you're right. If people were told on Earth that just do good things and you'll get into heaven and they know that people are actually watching out for that, then yeah, we'd probably have a lot more people in the good place. Or maybe if there was like a little visual cue every time you did something like in a video game or something like in the Sims or whatever. So if you ate a sandwich then suddenly, you know, you saw like a plus five float over your head for a split second and you're like, okay, now then you're becoming aware of what matters and what gives you points. Interesting. It's like the prequel to The Good Place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the prequel. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so did That's... you have uh, anything more to discuss or did you want to get to our spoiler zone? That seems like a good segue into our spoiler zone. Okay. Sounds good. We will be discussing the entire first season of The Good Place after the music. So if you haven't finished the show, don't listen past the music. That brings us to the end of Forking Bullshit, a Multiverse Radio production. If you like our show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. This is the best way for others to find the show. If you have thoughts you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter at Multiverse Radio and use the hashtag FBullshirt or find us on Facebook at Multiverse Radio Podcast. You can also visit our website, multiverseradio.ca. We'll see you next week for our review of Episode 2, Flying. Welcome to our first spoiler zone. Woo! Woo! Okay, so here we're going to talk about how, well, this is not what we thought it was. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit.
Um. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about, you know, spoilers for every episode. We're no. just going to talk about spoilers for the first episode and how it relates to the rest of the season. Yeah, we still want to have other things to talk about in other episodes. Oh, absolutely. So we'll, we'll keep it as brief as possible. Yeah. So obviously all of the main cast members had to have been in orientation at the same time because... As we all know, Michael brought all of them together to be their own personal torture devices. So they all had to be there. There's no way that any of them could have been there at any other time or longer than anybody else. At I, orientation? Yeah, I guess so, because they might have caught on to the idea that maybe heaven wasn't as great as it seemed. And also, yes, of course, because they are... Oh, interesting. Maybe that's saying that somehow they know when people are going to die. Kind of like, for example, Dead Like Me, mm -hmm. uh, where the Reapers have a, an exact time and date of when you're going to die. So maybe he picked four people that were all going to die on the same day. That had... That had these qualities that could drive each other just crazy, mm -hmm. you know? And create this whole mess of insecurities and frustration. Okay. That's possible for sure. Yeah. It could be anyway. I um, still like my no concept of time idea. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> that would is make a good the, idea. make less work for Michael. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So introduction to Michael. Yes. Um, actually, the, the moment where he tells Eleanor that you're in the good place. There's he, a hesitation. No. Well, yeah, a little bit. But actually, what I noticed was that he looks scary as heck. He has this, like, look in his eyes like he's, like, angry or something. Oh. And he doesn't actually seem that welcoming huh. in that one moment where he's like, this is the good place, Eleanor. And he's sort of saying it like, oh, man, I hope she buys this. <laughs> I thought he was going to laugh. Oh, really? When, like, right before, he's he almost has this facial tick, like a little twitch. Like, <laughs> she thinks she's in the good place, but, like, what an you're in the good place. <laughs> I I felt like... If you're, if you know what it is, you know, like, you know, you've seen the show and yeah. you're watching it again, you could, you could catch that. Yeah. And another thing I noticed that in his office, it's full of beautiful flowers, um, nice plants. And later on, it's full of cacti. Oh. So as things begin to unravel, it starts to reflect in his office. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know when the transition is, but it is it is there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we were talking earlier about whether or not Chidi would want to lie for Eleanor. Like, mm -hmm. whether it would be worse for him to lie to the people here or to betray her trust. Michael picked the perfect person for, oh my to be Eleanor's, gosh. like, fake soulmate. The perfect person. Chidi is so indecisive. He's so indecisive that he would never actually make the decision. He wouldn't be able to. So, no, exactly. He's presented this ethical cluster fork, as we were saying, but that's perfect for Eleanor because no matter whether she was lying to him and trying to hide it for mm -hmm. the first while, or if she told him right away, which maybe Michael didn't think that Eleanor would confess immediately so quickly yeah but regardless chidi is just so completely indecisive that he wouldn't actually end up doing anything whether or not he kind of goes well yeah it would be better for me to do this or but there's also merits to doing this like he's just gonna stay in that place of uncertainty for so long that he's it gonna matter. stew in it it's just yeah. gonna eat him up and he's not gonna know he's gonna go back and forth yeah he really picked the perfect person for her, in a way. Did you notice any more hints from Chidi or anybody saying anything that that might have been a clue that something was off? Yes. Um, Chidi actually makes a comment that, you know, I'm in a perfect utopia and I have a stomach ache. And right at the end of the episode, he's like, oh, stomach ache. Like, why in a good place would you have negative physical reactions? Exactly. Um, 
and we can already tell that like his stomach aches are caused by this anxiety, right? So in a good place, you probably wouldn't have this much anxiety. Yeah, and you right? should You would be somewhere peaceful, relaxing, happy. You'd have no medical ailments. Well, you'd you have, would hope so. Yeah. yeah, you'd have no headaches. I mean, you can't get hungover. We already so that's know about something. that. Yeah. And then Eleanor says, um, she's talking about her parents, and she says they're probably in the bad place. And she goes, maybe they're being used to torture each other. It would work. Which and you know perfect. what, Eleanor? You totally got it. You like, nailed you it. Called it. Dang, they're, she's so smart. They're probably neighbors. <laughs> um, it's very similar to the French play No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre, where in which three people are put into a room that they think uh, they think it's basically they think it's heaven, or they think it's purgatory. Yeah, like a, a form of purgatory, and they find out throughout the play that. They are each being used to torture each other. Oh. So that's that's an interesting comparison. Uh, I think it was made in the 40s or something. There's um, a lot of interesting aspects of the play that are brought up that reflect the whole show, the whole idea. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the real good places have soulmates? Or do you think that Michael just used this human desire to have a soulmate, to have, like, the one there to create more tension in this neighborhood? Do you even think there are other good places? Do you think that there are such things as good places? Or do you think this is just a construct that Michael created? He thought, hey, I have an experiment I want to run. Let me make up this place that's going to be called the good place. Okay, interesting. But no, now that I think about it, that doesn't make sense because Janet is in all the good places. Yeah, he said we stole a good place Janet right. in the last episode, I believe. Okay, yeah. so scratch that. No, but it's an interesting idea because, yeah, there might be good places, but what on earth are they like? Right. Was he actually, was his design actually going off of what real good places are like? Mm-hmm. Or was he giving us this kind of, hollywood version that people would really buy into Mm -hmm. you know and be convinced by so which is there which is strange because everybody's an actor Mm -hmm. they're all actors except for those five those four those four yeah well in janet i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. of course janet's not acting this is the most plausible construct that he could come up with that would convince all four of them yeah yeah which i suppose makes sense because it's a little bit too upper class i think for eleanor she probably feels inferior just being there like oh this is like way fancy same with jason same with jason but at the same time i think he would look at it and go like oh sweet oh, this yeah, place for sure. is great yeah you know like this place is banging or something like that i don't know yeah i don't know how he talks exactly but something like that yeah whereas tahani would be like oh this is this is nice this is acceptable you know because that's the kind of lifestyle that she was brought up in like having this big beautiful home would be normal for her and i think chidi would just see it as well everything seems good here like it seems like a nice place so i'm convinced by it i would be totally fine sent to this place yeah even if there were four other people or three other people sent to torture me this would be awesome (laughs) <laughs> so you wouldn't have said anything i wouldn't have said anything you can fly you get whatever you want you eat great food so you're arguing with somebody your whole the rest of your existence Pfft, no biggie true i think if she had come to this realization maybe not in front of so many people mm-hmm. or if she hadn't told michael then yeah she could have been like guys let's make this work for us yeah for sure, this place isn't perfect. There's a million yogurt places and no ice cream, but we can make it work. Because <laughs> that's hell. Yeah. Well, no, but that's what she's saying. Like, you know, it's not perfect, but it's pretty damn good. So we should just stay here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does Michael have an all-seeing eye into everything that's going on? Can he see what Eleanor's doing all the time? Can he hear what she's saying? Does he know that she is confiding in a Chidi in this first episode? 
Oh, um, he might. Yeah. Or he might just be so attuned to who they are of people or maybe who they were in real life that he knows what actions they'll take. Like Tahani will want to check the scores because she's so competitive. Mm -hmm. So he knows that setting those scores up and leaving them there for her to easily access. That's exactly what she's going to do. I don't know if he has like a, you know, some sort of TV vision into what they're doing at all times, but I think it's possible. Yeah. Because one thing I was unsure of watching it again, the destruction that happens, the flying shrimp, the striped shirts, was that part of the plan? Or was Eleanor's actions literally destroying the good place's foundation i think it was michael's intent and i think that would help your argument that he has like this all-seeing eye because there are a lot of those moments that he wouldn't have really noticed himself right the area grande references yeah exactly she only makes that reference to chidi right Mm -hmm. so unless he's listening right outside the door which is possible he did do that in another episode (laughs) but yeah it i think it is very possible that he is watching them and he's not really he's not bothered obviously because this is how it's supposed to be working like they're supposed to be having all of these problems they're supposed to be frustrated with each other and i think he uses it as a perfect way to mess with them it's a great catalyst for chidi to start to get frustrated with Eleanor, like, hey, this you're causing all this. Mm-hmm. And her freaking out and wanting to fit in more, which in turn causes more anxiety for Chidi. And yeah, more because he's got to with... keep that lie and he's yeah. got to try to make her a better person, which is a hard thing to do, right? right? No, that makes sense. Okay. Um, he is in, Michael is in control of everything. And so my last point um, was... Should we have been more suspicious of The Good Place? Because Michael says most people don't end up here. Only the best of the best. And yet we have people like Tahani, who is really condescending. Even in the first episode, you see that. Like, the first moment you meet her, you know she's condescending. And we have Chidi there. We don't get an idea that he did something fantastically amazing. Like, he was a a professor of ethics and morality. But... Were his actions really good enough to bring him somewhere like this? Right. And this is the thing that I didn't really think about when I started watching the show. I didn't It was only after I knew that this wasn't the good place that I realized I probably should have been wondering why they were here. Like, why they belonged here. I think we as viewers are happy to accept what Michael has told Eleanor. That Mm -hmm. this is the good place. Everybody's perfect here everything is perfect here i think we're okay to accept that because we've already been shown that this place is pretty magical we've got janet who can just appear out of nowhere and we've got people flying we've got a screen that appears out of nowhere so there's clearly something otherworldly going on mm-hmm. so why why doubt that This isn't what Michael has stated. I think the story really benefits from us as viewers just accepting the reality that's presented to us. If you give us the world, you tell us this is how it works, we accept that. Exactly. Eleanor's the only one who doesn't belong here. Everybody else who's here does belong here. We just accept that reality, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we accepted the reality that this is the good place, right? right? Despite evidence to the contrary like as tiny as that evidence might be when you're first watching it like you really don't pick up on it well at least i didn't you also these character attributes that are flaws Mm -hmm. that are hints that these people don't belong there they're character flaws that are present in everybody people you know are condescending people are indecisive so these are attributes that are very common in our day-to-day life So seeing them presented as characteristics on a person in the show, we don't really question it because it's normal for us to see that. But as soon as you start digging deeper, these character flaws aren't supposed to be there. Yeah. And And we don't really think about that because we're not trying to. Mm -hmm. We're not thinking about these people as 
pawns in Michael's sadistic little game. Yeah. We're just thinking them as other inhabitants of the good place who are perfect and belong there. Yeah. And I don't think we're supposed to think that everyone's perfect and that they're going to be, you know, completely flawless. They're not ever going to be indecisive or condescending. Which is part of the genius of the show. Yeah. Because in a true good place, I'm sure that's what it's like. Yeah. That there are people who are imperfect. Because, well, who is, right? Which lends to the theory that maybe there are no good places. <laughs> there you, you go. You never know. You never know. Oh, that's so interesting. Anyway. All right. I guess that kind of wraps up our spoiler discussion. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this show. When I started watching it, I just thought, hey, this is going to be a fun, lighthearted comedy. It has Kristen Bell in it. And I loved her in Veronica Mars. So... I just, I didn't expect this to be a show that I could have conversations about that would last this long. Because <laughs> currently right now, listeners, we will probably shorten this episode because we do need to do some editing. But we are currently at an hour and a half. I never thought I could talk about this show that long. Um, So yeah, it surprised me. It really came around and just punched me in the face out of nowhere. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, this is not what I expected. In a good way, in a good way, of course. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks for sticking with us for the spoiler discussion. Please let us know if you have any thoughts. If they are spoilery, um, maybe send us like an email instead of writing it on... Or a Facebook message. Yeah, or a Facebook message instead of writing it on Twitter. Um, we do want to keep people spoil free if they're watching it oh, week by week with us. Yeah. Um. We don't want to ruin the ending for them because it was a really fun ending for me anyway to to be surprised by. Mm-hmm. It's great to be surprised by that. Yeah. This was Forking Bullshirt. I'm Vivian. And I'm Jason. We'll see you next week.